Amen, and thank you for that. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Why don't we all stand together, and uh, we're going to read this together as a way to close out this reset series. Uh, Would you join me as we read this together? Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So there's a story that's been told uh, many times about a young pastor who shows up uh, at a church. The first time he gets to preach, he's been brand new at this church. The first moment he preaches, he preaches a fantastic sermon by which the congregation stands and gives him a round of applause. It was biblically sound, it was theologically accurate, and it was applicable to the life and faith. And the, and the elders thought, man, we really made a great hire. This is, this is great. The very following week, they come with anticipation to hear what the pastor has to say. The pastor preaches the same exact sermon. Biblically sound, theologically accurate, and applicable to life and faith. The elders thought, man, that's, that's great. You know what? I learned something. I probably needed to hear that again. That was really good. They come back to the third week and they're excited to hear what, what the pastor had to say because they had, he, had, he had really done a great job the, the first two times that he had been up there and he preached the same exact sermon, biblically sound, theologically accurate and applicable to life and faith. And so the elders got together afterwards and they thought, you know what, maybe he has something different. Well, we'll give him one more week and if not, we'll, 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 we'll check to see whether or not uh, there's something different there. The fourth week, you can only guess that he came and preached the same exact sermon, biblically sound, theologically accurate, and applicable to life and faith. So the elders pulled him aside after the church service and said, you know, pastor, we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you preach a great, a great sermon. But we are wondering, uh, is, there, is there something else you know how to preach? Is there something else that you've prepared for us? The pastor looked at the elders and he said, man, absolutely, I have so many things to say. However, until this church is willing to obey what I've already told them, I'm not moving on. (laughs) And so at some level, as I began to prepare this sermon, um, I recognized that, that there's already some times that have been prepared like this. This idea of loving others is one that is very familiar to us. And so the question of what to preach. And so as I was preparing, I was asking, you know, what is, what is it that's, that's true here that hasn't, hasn't already be, been said? What is it that's true here that we need to hear uh, again? And so um, I began to think um, through what it was that we've, we've, we've talked about. And, and in this sermon series what we've talked about. And I thought, man, you know what? It would be great 
uh, for this sermon series, given what we've talked about, is, is I want to talk about, you know, what it means to love as the body of Christ, right? Uh, different parts of the body moving out, and then I realized, oh, oh, wait, hmm, that was week two of this sermon series, so you already have a sermon on that. And then, um, then I thought, I should really get uh, to talk about how how more we need to be more loving at, at, at Lake, uh, here with, with each other. And I thought, you know, that's, that's, chap- that's number three. That's week three. <clears throat> then maybe I thought we should talk about loving our enemies, because that's really important, right? That's really, really important. Loving our enemies was week, was week four. We're in week six. And I thought, man, these things have already been covered. And man, I wish that Greg and Jeff had left a little bit more meat on the bone for me to cover. But we're going to get after it anyway. And I'm going to see if I can't bookend this series a bit. Can we get these monitors to shut down? That would be awesome because I'm getting a little bit of stuff in here. Thank you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is where we began this series, this reality that Paul sets forth in Romans uh, 12. And, and, it, and it talks about the fact that our form should follow our function. That is, that the Christian life and the relationships within the church are directly related to the function of that church in the community. That is, churches and their practice in the world are a reflection of the way that the community is formed inside these walls. Paul here Paul talks about followers who are formed with a function and purpose of becoming disciples for the sake of the gospel. It's clear. There's not a whole lot of equivocation. There's not a lot of questions going through this this scripture passage. And succinctly, with vivid imagery, Romans 12, 1 and 2 summarizes what our response to God's grace and connectedness to Christ should be. For Paul, this marks the beginning of a whole new section in which he gives the community specific instruction on how to honor God concretely in the everyday experience. It was in chapters uh, 1 through 11 that Paul expressed his most expansive um, explanation of the gospel. A gospel so powerful that anyone who embraces it can be known as righteous in God's sight and has hope, has hope. Has a, has a clear vision of what is the gospel and what is salvation. In chapter 12 and following is Paul's practical application of that gospel. And it's concerned with two things. One, sacrifice. That bodies, that persons, that governments, that communities are sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. That our individual stuff is sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. And two, that we were ultimately transformed from what we were to something that God wants us to be. Between 
chapter 12, 1 and verse 7 in chapter 13, Paul remar- Paul remarks, Paul's remarks point to love as the end result. It's sprinkled in there, and that's why 2, 3, and 4 had all this love attached to it. Pastor Greg concluded last week's message in this way, quote, I appreciate how the Apostle Paul ends this passage. It is in verse 7, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Indeed, the twofold call of Scripture in this matter can be summed up in this way. Honor all people, including your leaders. Pray for all people, including your leaders. End quote. I would add, love all people, including your leaders. In many ways, Romans 13, 7 is more the same idea of sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And, and, it, and we miss it here in, in the English language. Paul actually equivocates this, this love for government and the love for individuals in this passage. And it actually reads like this. If you owe government taxes, pay government taxes. If individual taxes, then individual taxes. If government respect, then government respect. If individual respect, then individual respect. There is no different way that we are to treat those in authority than we are to treat those that are standing next to us. That we are to love, that we are to care, that we are to spend our time and energy making sure that those people are cared for. Owing nothing but to love is how he follows on. Owe nothing but to love. Owe nothing to anybody out there but to love them. Chapter 12 and 13 repetitively point to love as the outworking of our transformation in Christ Jesus. And in particular, the will of God, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There is no more significant way that we are to treat anyone than to love them. Which brings us to our text. Oh, nothing to to anyone but to love. And then Paul points way back, all the way to the commandments, to remind us that this, folks, is not new. It's not new. The second half of the Decalogue is all about how we look out for our neighbor, not for ourselves. It's how we give deference to our neighbor, how we are making sure that our neighbor is cared for, our neighbor is loved, our neighbor is encouraged and empowered to know that the God who has gotten a hold of my life can get a hold of their life as well. It is the law and love working itself out in concert. And they have to be in concert, folks. Paul speaks here about fulfilling the law and not abolishing it. Love fulfills the law. It does not eradicate it. Paul makes a specific point not to say that here. In our own laws, in our country, We have to figure out what is the stuff that we are supposed to do because that's not the way law is written. Law is written to say, 
do not do this. Do not do that. And so we find ourselves in the bubbles to say, oh, I didn't cross that line. I didn't cross that line. But it doesn't give us specific encouragement of what to do. Go back and listen to last week's message and you'll understand that that point is really, really important for what government is called to do. It's to empower us to justice. I love what James Wilhoit says. He says, love needs the law for its direction and law needs love for its inspiration. Let me say that again because I didn't get it the first time I read it. Love needs the law for its direction. Law needs the love for its inspiration. The law and love continue to reflect God's good and acceptable and perfect will. And it's our job to be harbingers of that law, harbingers of that love, that we would take that out beyond this moment into our lives. That is, we intentionally seek out and serve our neighbor's best interests. We intentionally seek out and serve the other's best interest. Whoever the other is in your world. The worst thing that can be said about Christians is that we don't love. I wish it were in our society that we say, well, what is the, the group out there that loves the most? And people said, oh, Christians, absolutely. They own the field in loving people. They crush it every single week in loving people. No one loves more than Christians out there. The problem is that's not the story they tell about us. Ask the waiter that you go serve, that serves you when you go out to lunch. We Christians must change that reality. Someone out there, some other out there, some neighbor out there deserves the love of God through you. Let me think about this for a second. What we're saying, this isn't new. It's some of the first things that we learn about God, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We're teaching that to our kids right now. Along with, go do the same, kids. Treat each other well. And yet we still need to hear that in this space as well because guess what? We're not good at it. We just aren't. We're talking about love here, right? I mean, it should be something that like is easy. We're talking about this, this thing that we're about to celebrate on Ash Wednesday. Uh, not Ash Wednesday, but Valentine's Day. You guys know that good and, and true, real, honest love is some of the hardest things out there. Let me remind us. 
1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I really hope that the last time that you heard that wasn't at a wedding. Always? Hopes? Trusts? Perseveres? God is love. And if we are to follow this gospel, our job is to be imitators of that God and become that love. For love isn't just something to do, love is something to become. Love isn't something to do, love is something to become. I heard this statement this last week. And I thought it was helpful. There are three types of people in the world. Those who make things happen. Those who watch things happen. And those who wonder what happened. <laughs> so let's make something happen. If you're like me, and I know that I am, then you have a cell phone. I know Lil's over here like, nope, I ain't got one. She said it on Saturday night too. If you have a cell phone, you have an address book, right? And in that address book, I'm sure, like I said, if you're like me, that you have people in that address book that you have no intention ever of calling or texting. Ever! The only reason you have them in that address book is so that if, by chance, they call you, you don't actually accidentally pick up the phone. You know I'm right. So now that you have that person in your mind, I'm going to give us a moment. One minute. Because I'm going to ask you to pray for them. Ready, go.
And all God's people said, amen. For some of you, just in that moment, in that prayer, someone came to mind, whether it was because of the phone thing or because you know of people in your life. And for some of you, realize that you actually need to make a phone call. And probably when you make that phone call, you need to do one of three things. You need to either, one, repent. You need to, two, forgive. Or three, you just need to have a conversation. There are others of you that don't ever need to call that person ever again because that, that relationship is too toxic, it is too violent, it is too difficult. Your job still is just to pray. And I get it. What I just asked you to do and what I just turned the, turned the corner on is asking us to do the hard thing that love calls us to do. And I, and I hesitate to continue to talk about it, right? But I will. Some of you need to change your password and your computer to pray for the name of the person, five, seven, nine, whatever. Some of you need to do something that's intentional about how to care for the other people in your life. Those people that are difficult, those people that are easy. We've got to do something intentionally, or guess what? You're going to walk out of here and go, man, Chuck gave a great message. And next week, you're going to need to hear it again. Tonight, you have a great opportunity to come to a concert and allow yourself to have compassion for people that you may not meet to pray for and care for folks. Last night, uh, last week, we were walking in the Locked in Solidarity events. Those were moments to allow our lives to be affected by people that you may or may not ever meet. It's not a piece of guilt. It's just a way to say there are opportunities springing up around us all the time of the way that we get to care for other people. And if we don't do it intentionally, if we don't plan, if we don't say, you know what, I'm going to love this person, I'm going to do this in such a way that says, I care about you, and I don't ever think that I'm going to get anything back from you, then we're missing something. I, I hesitate to share this part because it's not, I don't want this to be about me. This isn't about me. But I told myself a long time ago that I'm not going to stand up here and encourage you to go do something that I'm not willing to do. And so I have um, a relationship with a teacher, old teacher of mine. Uh, she taught uh, my fourth and sixth grade. And I remember uh, a, a lot about what she taught. But I also remember kind of the last, last things uh, uh, in my sixth grade year. Um, she did some things that were very hurtful to me. I'm not sure she knows that. And when I say I have a relationship, I, it's only in my head. <laughs> and, and I've thought about that over years, many of them. And last week, I found out that she's still teaching. 
I got her email and I emailed her. And in two weeks, we're going to go to coffee just to have a conversation. Some things I need to say, some things I need to hear. But it's a moment to live this out in a way that I can't express in a really quick story like that. So it doesn't matter where we come from, how you walked in this door. It doesn't matter if you are on the left side of things or the right side of things. The scripture is abundantly clear from the beginning to the end. In the law and because of mercy, from the tablets of Mount Sinai to the throne of Solomon, in the words of Daniel to the hope of the gospel of Jesus the Christ, you and I are called to love one another. You and I are called to love the other. You and I are called to lay down our lives for our friends and our enemies because love does no wrong to the other. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the band up. And because I talk about intentionality, I think we need to be intentional. And though the the cell phone exercise is a great exercise, and you could think of maybe one, maybe two, maybe three people that are there, you need to really process. Who are the people that I need to approach this week? What do I need to do to be more loving in this week? And so as we sing, I encourage you, make a plan to do what God's already called you to do.